KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. South Carolina! That was Joe Biden when a dominant win in the South Carolina primary started to turn his presidential hopes into a reality. Now, halfway through his first term, he's got the state on his mind again, suggesting to Democrats that they make South Carolina their first stop on their primary calendar instead of Iowa. Iowa is a very white state. And come on now, (laughs) the Democratic Party, whatever its flaws may be, is racially diverse. Dr. David Barrett is a professor of political science at Villanova University. He thinks a change like this makes sense for a bunch of reasons, but that doesn't mean it won't come without some potential hurdles or opposition. It's a complex process. I don't know if in reality President Biden will get everything that he wants. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we take a look at the history of presidential primaries, how much they move the needle, and what might be motivating President Biden to push for change. To start, it's interesting because the idea of primaries, presidential primaries, they're so ingrained into our political mind. I think we kind of knee-jerk just assume that they've always been there. But in the grand scheme of things, they are a relatively new tool that the parties use, no? It's relatively new that they actually matter. They have mattered for some decades now. Uh, Primaries existed. You can go back into early 20th century a few states were holding primaries, but they didn't they didn't get much attention. They didn't matter. A key player in the transformation of, of primaries becoming more common and starting to matter was Woodrow Wilson. He was one of those elected leaders who managed to win the governorship and the presidency. And he did so with the help of, of the party leaders scattered around in the different states, the so-called party bosses. In that era, the way that nominees of parties were chosen was that, yes, delegations got together at the national nominating conventions, but most of those delegations were utterly dominated by a couple of leaders. So it was the bosses of the state parties, and it was the interaction of these party leaders, these party bosses from the many states at the national convention. So there was this very different kind of a process then from today where the party bosses had to agree. And sometimes they didn't agree. Sometimes there would be like 5, 10, 15, 20 ballots until the, the, the party leaders from the various states could finally agree on who should be the nominee. And Wilson, although the bosses helped him win election as governor of New Jersey and ultimately win the presidential nomination presidency, he basically hated that. He thought it was very non-democratic, not capital D, but small d democratic. And he just hated control by party bosses. He, he was part of Wilson was very rebellious. So he urged the party to move toward uh, the usage of more primaries. And so primaries began to be held in more and more states. But the fact is, they really didn't matter very much. They were kind of they were a place where a candidate, either party's nomination could go to sort of show their appeal. But the party bosses, the party leaders didn't care much. So let's move ahead to the 1950s. Primaries are still being held. People, some politicians are trying to demonstrate their appeal occasionally. But but the one who really made a, a difference was Senator John F. Kennedy and his campaign manager, most people might recall or might be aware, was his brother, Robert Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy. And they decided that part of their strategy was to make 
1959, 1960, make the best connections they can with the party bosses, the party leaders around the country. And they did that. But simultaneously, they made a decision early on. Kennedy was going to run in the primaries and he was going to win them. And he was going to show the party leaders from all the states that like he was the strongest candidate. And so primaries in the Democratic side, especially, really mattered in 1960. He beat, he solidly defeated a, a strong candidate, a respected candidate, Senator Hubert Humphrey. Uh, a couple of the other candidates, Lyndon Johnson, Adlai Stevenson, thought they just didn't want to run in the primaries. And it made them look sort of weak and afraid. And Kennedy sort of, he projected this image of he's fearless. He's not going to hide from anybody. He's going to run in these primaries and he's going to beat them. And he did. And it did have an, have an impact on the party leaders because, because even as late as 1960 through the 60s into the early, well, at least through the 1960s, the party leaders really were party bosses and Kennedy persuaded them. And so then other politicians subsequent to that began seeing like, if you want to win the nomination, go out and win the primaries. And then that was formalized. Senator George McGovern uh, led a commission in the late 60s for the Democratic Party. And so the party switched to what more to a system where what happens in primaries determines delegates to the convention. Primaries really, really have mattered since the 1970s. So these days, I remember back in 2016 talking to some reporters and in interviews like this about Donald Trump. And of course, we, you know, back in 2000, late 2015, early 16, we would talk about, well, he's a very non-standard kind of a candidate. And he says offensive things. And surely the Republican Party leadership is, is not going to allow this to happen. And my response would be, you know, party leaders are really not party bosses these days. What what produces a presidential nomination of a major party, and this has been true for some decades now, it's winning primaries or the occasional caucus. That's it's hard to think of a party leader in any state. There are a few here and there who, who are so strong, have such control, you could call them a boss. Like really, voters determine the, the nominee of the party in the primaries. That's that's how it goes. That's what Woodrow Wilson wanted way back a century or more ago, and he thought it would be just wonderful. I'm not sure it is wonderful. I mean, sometimes <laughs> nominees get produced that we might not think are ideal. Some some political scientists, academic types think maybe we should go back to a system where the party leaders matter more than they do. We have gotten used to the Iowa caucus being first, the New Hampshire being the first primary, but the Democrats and just the Democrats for this conversation, the Republicans, no indication they're going to make any changes to their schedule. Basically, Iowa is going to get booted and get pushed way down where it would be much less consequential, if consequential at all. And it would be South Carolina hosting the first uh, primary, followed by New Hampshire and Nevada. Georgia, Michigan would also move up the chart. Uh, when you first heard this just as a political scientist what did you think of this were you surprised or did you think this was kind of a long time coming well i wasn't surprised and part of it just has to do with many listeners will recall that back in the previous primary season and as you say i will at first with the caucuses and then there were technical problems and i mean it was days before we knew who actually won but i mean it was just a mess so there's that probably just angered and frustrated Democrats around the country. There are multiple factors at play here. 
I mean, Iowa used to be sort of a swing state, maybe lean Republican, but a bit of a swing state. It's just not a swing state anymore. It's a Republican leaning state. So that's the problem. Why should Democrats sort of start their whole process in a state that leans so Republican? And then Iowa is a very white state. And come on now, (laughs) the Democratic Party, whatever its flaws may be, the Democratic Party is racially diverse. I mean, it, it, it just is. And so Iowa is not a good fit uh, for that reason. And then, frankly, caucuses. Look, I mean, if I lived in Iowa, I, I, as a political scientist and who's very interested in political history and politics and all that, like, yeah, I would find it fascinating to go spend a few hours on a Tuesday evening in the depths of winter. I would I would do that. A lot of ordinary Americans like who are willing to vote, they don't want to go spend hours in this sort of unusual caucus process. There are just multiple reasons for the Democrats to do it. It's predictable that, you know, Iowa Democrats are very unhappy about it, but it seems very sensible to me. To your point about Iowa not being reflective of the Democratic Party, it really makes sense to to push states that whose populace is more reflective of the people they're trying to reach. And also, by the way, a lot of them, not South Carolina necessarily, but are are swing states that are going to matter. So you get voters engaged and energized early. By the way, there's another reason why I said this makes, why I should have said this makes sense, which is Joe Biden, he did horribly in Iowa and didn't do well in New Hampshire. So there's that whole other reason. He's the president right now. He's the head of the Democratic Party. When the head of the Democratic Party says, I want to change the sequence, you know, the DNC is going to go along with that. Yeah, yeah. You do make an interesting point. South Carolina is, it does have that much in common with Iowa. It's it's not in the general election. It is not a swing state. So that's a good point. But it's you know, it's not a tiny state. It's not a. It's not like New Hampshire, but it's not a huge state like California. It is the sort of candidate where so-called retail politics can matter. I mean, candidates can really get out and about around South Carolina. And there, there were some very attractive things about the Iowa caucus process, which is candidates went to this state and they were there on the ground campaigning door to door, cafe to cafe, bowling alley to bowling alley, that sort of thing. And I was never, I used to think, you know, sometime I, I should just go out there just to watch the process. Unfortunately, a professor's teaching schedule doesn't doesn't make that so easy to do if you live in another part of the country. But there were some wonderful, very democratic, small d democratic things about that process. But there's a lot to be said for South Carolina. Uh, again, it's not a huge state, so you don't have to spend, well, you can spend relatively less in, say, South Carolina than in, say, if it were Pennsylvania or New York State or California or Texas. I think one of the things when you lead off with Iowa, chances are you're going to get the arrow pointing to a more conservative Democrat, you know, coming out and and emerging out of that, where I think with a lot of these other states, the liberal slash the progressive portion of the party is much more likely maybe to have a candidate that would have much more success in, in some of these in these states. And, you know, kind of going back to that point, it could change the shape of who catches on early and who kind of draws attention. Yes. And I I, I confess, I actually did a screenshot of the list of the order of, of if, assuming the party, Democratic Party approves this. I mean, it really is an interesting sequence because South Carolina, uh, a lot of diversity for Democrats, a lot of diversity, kind of a medium sized state. 
But then three days later, Nevada and New Hampshire would follow. So Nevada out west, it is, it seems to me, important to have a state out west early. In, I mean, it just makes sense not to ignore the whole like, western half of the country in the early phases. But also New Hampshire. So New, I, I can't imagine that people, people in New Hampshire are too unhappy about this proposal because New Hampshire will still matter very much. And again, you know, in Nevada, the populations are kind of concentrated in certain areas, even though it's geographically a large state. So again, you you do have states early on in this process where the so-called retail politics matters a lot. And then Georgia on the 13th and Michigan on February 27th. Now, Michigan, Michigan is a big state and it's it's got some cities, I mean, Detroit especially, but it's a geographically big state. It's going to be more expensive, but there's a real mix there. And by the way, this is Biden's list. Biden said, this is the sequence that I think we should do. You know, people, just Democrats in states that are not high on the list are very unhappy, but I'm assuming the party will go along with what Biden wants. Now, the tricky thing is, and I don't claim to be an expert on all of these things, but I'll tell you, to, to make these changes, it's not it's not just a matter of what the DNC, Democratic National Committee, decides. They're, they're state party organizations with their own leaders, Democratic and Republican. Again, it's the Democrats who are proposing the change, not the Republicans. So there's there's that dynamic dynamic. One party is proposing a change, the other essentially is not. You've you've got state leaders, not all of whom will be on board with this. You have state electoral laws. It's it's a complex process. I don't know if in reality President Biden will get everything that he wants. I I don't know the impact of of what some state committees and state law, what that impact will be. It's going to be, I think, a bit messy because some states, you know, a, a state can say, well, we know what the DNC said, but we're just going to go ahead and hold our primary anyway. <laughs> and then the the party can sanction, so the national at the national level, DNC can sanction the state level party and say, well, you know, you can do that, but we're not going to seat your delegates or we will make them. We will only see them as an as non-voting delegates. So there are sanctions. So I predict a, a mess of a certain level lies ahead for the Democrats. But I mean, I think Iowa is just out of it. I can't imagine that they wouldn't figure this out by February of 2024. But what would that look like? You know, would it just be they they grudgingly take the results and then and then sanction them later? The way that these things get settled, ultimately, when there's a dispute like this, so let's say New Hampshire says, well, look, we got the state law, we're going to hold it anyway. And the Democratic Party says, well, you can do that. And what could easily happen is there could be an agreement among the candidates or most of the candidates simply not to campaign in that early New Hampshire event. Now, that allows some one or two sort of more rogue Democrats to say, hey, I'm going to go campaign there. (laughs) So like I said, a bit of a mess. And then so the party can lay down the sanction and then but ultimately then what happens is at the time or in the in the the days or week or so in the lead up before the actual national nominating convention in the summer, they can decide, well, okay, we will seat those delegates after all. Or we'll and and have and they can have voting privileges, but I would think more likely they might be seated as non-voting, you know, non-voting delegates or something like that. So it will get sorted out 
some of this that isn't sorted out by you were saying it'll all get sorted out by February 24th. And I'm I'm not, uh, maybe, but I'm not sure. But if it, to the extent it doesn't, it will get more sorted out right at the, or just before the, uh, or even it could be. Sometimes there are, historically, there have been fights in national nominating conventions where you have rival delegations. And then the the convention literally votes, you know, which delegation to seat. So in a way, I kind of like this whole thing because conventions have gotten so antiseptic. They're just TV shows and it's all staged and there hasn't been much that's been messy or competitive or colorful, dramatic, interesting at conventions for a long time. Maybe it'll be a, have a bit more drama this this coming time, maybe. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. David Barrett of Villanova University right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. David Barrett. I think when you think of presidential elections and you think of Democratic strongholds, I think you think like California and New York states. Why not have one of those states? up. They're huge when it comes to population. And don't you want Democrats deciding, having a big say in, in who the Democratic nominee is? Why wouldn't you want, maybe not all of them, but one of them up there in the mix? I don't hear people saying that that the really, really big states should be in that early mix. And and I agree with that. I mean, it's just, to me, it would be off-putting to say, here, California, you can be in the first few primaries. It just, I think it would leave a, leave a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of Democrats around the country. And one offshoot of having what will probably amount to, if everything goes as proposed, almost completely separate schedules for the Republicans and for the Democrats. The people in those states get double the length of commercials. Like, you know, there's going to be two finish lines for when you're going to stop seeing ads on everything, I would imagine. A good incentive not to watch television, or, listen, <laughs> or I shouldn't say this on the radio, but not to listen to the radio, because who really likes campaign advertisements? Almost no one. I, th I think campaign advertisements, they're on the air because they more or less work, but nobody likes listening to them. When I was just talking to you or listening to you a moment ago, suddenly a book that I read came to my mind, and it was kind of a, it was a book, but it was also a picture book that I think it was NBC News produced about the 1964 election. The title of the book is Somehow It Works. <laughs> that's true. Somehow it works. The parties do produce a nominee. Somehow it works. And, you know, I think there were some fairness problems. I, I read parts of President Biden's statement that he issued suggesting these changes. And he's, I didn't, I don't know this about him, and I suppose it's true. He said, you know, it was the civil rights issues, racial issues that got me into politics in the first place. And so he went on to make the case, it's, it's just not right to have a state uh, so lacking in diversity be so important. Maybe he was being authentic with that reasoning. Who, who knows? I mean, one has to always take what 
I don't mean disrespect to him, but one has to take with a grain of salt most anything that, that politicians say. But it was an interesting statement. If we were to have parallel separate universes where the traditional calendar goes through a Democratic primary and this new one, do you think it's safe to say in a situation where there's not a sitting president, where it's an open field, that they would produce different nominees? Possibly. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say likely, but possibly, because I think South Carolina is very racially diverse. But everything I have read about black voters in South Carolina is they're not they're not far left on the political spectrum. There's a kind of a conservatism among quite a few of the Democratic, the black Democratic voters in South Carolina. Iowa, the state at large may be Republican leanings, but but Democratic Party politics within Iowa is is just off to the left compared to uh, South Carolina. So let's deal with the real world situation. If the Democrats were to keep the same schedule, I think it is likelier that you would have had someone on the left challenge Biden in the Iowa caucuses. In South Carolina, I think some who might have done that in Iowa will look at South Carolina and just think, what's the point? For the future, it I think Biden would say, although he won't say this publicly, that this sort of revised schedule is likelier to produce a sort of a more mainstream liberal candidate than a far left candidate. The interesting, another interesting thing about that Biden statement, he said, look, I'm saying this is what we should switch to, you know, for the next election. He said, I'm not making this suggestion for the long, long run. He's, he said, Biden says, I think the party should revisit fairly often what the schedule shall be. I mean, I think he may have even said revisit that question every four years. Like, oh, gosh, there's a recipe for a mess to, to revisit this question every four years, but maybe every decade or so, it makes sense to revisit that question of what the sequence should be. As far as the big picture making this done, the president proposed it. Does it have to go through every state has to, or is it different for every state and they have to deal with the challenges from the states that are getting left out? And is it, is it not an, a, a one to two to three process? Is it kind of all over the place? I think for the most part, the new sequence will fairly automatically happen, but there are going there are going to be some of these challenges that are based on state law or or just the Democratic committee for that state rebels, and then you've got a struggle, and who knows, there may be some primary that's that's a kind of a you know an unsanctioned by the National Party. Uh, I think most of it is just it's just going to happen. This proposal has been through two stages, but it's then the implementation of it state by state where I would, my estimate is that most of that will fairly automatically happen, but there could be challenges, and I'm thinking there probably will be some challenges to it. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.